You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I am here with metal... Uh impresario can i use that word uh christian Martin. <laughs> i guess yeah so i feel like you do a lot of things in metal do you want to break it down quickly for people i stay busy i'm a promoter i do a lot of fests that come through houston also do the festival hell's heroes and i play in necrofire which is on season of mist and night cobra which our last record was on high roller so kind of busy it's very busy so let's talk about each of these things in order so the promoter thing kind of ties into Hell's Heroes. How did that start? Where did that come from? Because you're, you're a promoter at a, at a pretty damn high level at this point. Well, I've been doing shows, I think, at this point. I think it's tw- if it's not 20 years, uh, it's close to 20 years. But I've always, I mean, I book a lot of, I book all sorts of things. But of course, I book metal stuff because that's what I know even better than the rest of it. Uh, but at different places I've worked, I mean, I put together like little things where, you know, I wouldn't call it a fest per se. But, you know, like club fests with, you know, 10 bands-ish, stuff like that. Me and Jason Tarpey were talking about how the South needed a festival of something, you know, like something in the world we listen to. And it would be like, you know, like we're, I can't remember what we were originally talking about when we discussed it. But I was like, we need like a heavy metal thing in the South. Like there's nothing down here. You know, like the, the closest ones are like Frost and Fire. And there was like Randy Spring Bash. And then they did that Wings of Metal thing for a minute up in Canada. So that's kind of where the idea came to start. It was like, we need some of these bands coming down here as an event and see if it works. But I was always scared to do it because Houston's not the coolest city. It is not. Like, people don't come here to hang. Uh, you know, like, say, it used to be in, in Texas, it'd be, the easy choice would be Austin. Everything always happened in Austin. Everybody's okay with traveling to Austin and things like that. But I don't really that's the case that much more anymore anyways. Like, Austin's not the same city. But didn't really know how it would work out. So it, it took a couple of years of kind of trying to piece it together and it never really came together. And then the year I got Sarah Thungle, I was like, and then everything kind of wrapped together pretty easy after that. I remember that. I remember, I think we put a band on it. Well, you and I worked, I think we put Warcloud on it in like 2016. What was that? Whatever what the it? first year was. 
I think we had, okay, we had WarCloud on the third year and then the third year canceled because of COVID and then they got bumped to the next one. Okay, but I remember when it was really small is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is maybe the South by Showcase you did? Whatever. Yeah, WarCloud played that for sure. It very quickly graduated, which was really cool. And so the turning point you're saying was this Kira Thungle show was where it started to be like, oh, this could be like a thing. That was just the thing that made it happen. Because like before, it just never came together because I'd kind of message a couple bands and be like, oh, let me know what happens and things like that. But the first mm-hmm. year, it actually happened. I got Sierra Thungle confirmed. And then, you know, like I hit Midnight and then Toxic Holocaust. And everybody was just like, yeah, yeah, this sounds like a great thing. We want to do it. But before that, it never ended up happening because I would start asking, say, one of those bands and they'd be like, oh, well, who's headlining? I'm like, I don't know yet. And they'd be like, well, let me know. But none of them, you know, it, it took like somebody else to kind of get the whole thing like in line, like something like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, this is going to be a thing. Let's, let's put this all together. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. And I think that like, that's like the big issue with metal festivals in America in general, I think, is that people just start booking their friends and don't realize they need a headliner. Well, some of it, I mean, if you're going to book a fest in a 200 cap room, you can do whatever you want. I mean, Bandwise, you know, like, it, I guess it's just a lot of it depends on your expectations. But if you're going to get if you're going to shoot for something bigger then it's like uh, you just have to kind of adjust it accordingly. And booking, I mean, like, I mean, there's a I can't, there's a ton of my friends bands on Hell's Heroes, except I just have like, you know, a decent amount of my friends are in bands that people listen to. Yeah. So it kind of it does work. I mean, it works out or even on Hell's Heroes level, there's a bunch of bands that are in the, in the grand scheme of band whateverness. They're not that big. But on Hell's Heroes, everybody that comes to the festival loves them. So they do like they have an amazing show. How do you curate that vibe so that a smaller band like a tower, for example, can show up and have a really good time? I just try to keep the lineup as I mean, even though some of these bands, like I was saying, aren't like they're not touring, drawing hundreds of people or anything. But since like, I don't know, I mean, most of it's based on my personal music taste. Like, I just don't put anybody on the fest, you know, and try to have it where it's more, uh, I don't know, bands I think everybody wants to see, or I'm, like, impressed by the band, things like that. And it usually translates pretty well. No, that's fair. Because it's always interesting to me. Like, one of the questions we run into with Prophecy Fest is this idea of, like, will booking this band just be a plus on the lineup, or will it genuinely sell more tickets? Yeah. Right? And I think that's really a question we wrestle with a lot, is... Does this bring in more relevant people who are the type of people who we think would have fun at this festival or not? Or is this something who the people who already bought a ticket will fall in love, will just be happy is there? You know, how do you how do you go about, you know, obviously a lot of people ask to play on the festival, a lot of good people ask to play on the festival. How do you go about sort of picking and choosing when you have to make those hard calls? So I start booking this thing like way in advance. Yeah. Like a year and a half out, I'll start messing with stuff, especially like bigger bands and things like that. Or sometimes just smaller bands. Like I just booked a band for 2025. <laughs> Some of it, it's like, you know, there's a certain level of like, I, I just want to put bands on the fest I think are great that may not be that big. So there's like a certain area where I just fill that up with whatever I think is good. And then it moves on to like, some bands got to be in a certain range of like how big they are just to kind of fill another gap. And then there's like for like headliners and stuff, there's a certain like level that I try to shoot for that fills in that spot. So that way everything's kind of covered. But I feel like I do feel that say like the smaller bands on fest, you can tell like who's booking the fest and like how they're like their, I don't know, taste slash, you know, like how they're branding their thing works. Because if you're in a certain scene and you're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, is headlining, you're like, awesome. And then you're like, who are these bands? It's maybe either done where, uh, 
maybe that's not the fest for you or something like that. Or it's just uh, whoever's doing the fest doesn't really have like an idea of what they're shooting for, maybe or something like Does that makes sense. Right. And there's two there's two options. Yeah. It's like my, it's not saying like my taste in music is better than who's ever taste in music. But if you don't uh, have it, if it, like you can tell when fl- a fest flows and you like say you look at the lineup and people are just like, what the fuck? Like all those bands are playing or it's like, you know, sometimes it's just the undercards are just all bands. You're like, who? What? OK, that one's cool. Or they're just randomly placed. I don't know. Taste aside, you have clarity of vision. Yeah. Like, say, uh, besides my fest, I think a good example would be like Beyond the Gates. Beyond the Gates, no. like almost every band on there. I'm like, oh, yeah. All right. This is great. Everything fits together, even though if it's like, say, they randomly have a heavy metal band on it, it still works. And like, there's a clear vision of what they want to do. Yes. Where other fest, it doesn't like, yeah, it might not be there. You could, you could have a close amount of the same amount of bands, but you don't have the same feeling because it's not put together in the same form, like in the same format as somebody like in our world that is just like way too into the scene, you know? And I think that's the fun is that like, You know, there are people who go to Beyond the Gates who like black metal, but they also go because they trust the curator. Yeah. Right. Which is like kind of the coolest thing ever. Right. Like, that's how I feel about Prophecy Fest a lot of the time is like people just kind of trust like maybe I don't know all the bands, but like when did they ever book anything shitty? Yeah. If you can get to the point where you can sell a bunch of tickets without even announcing a band, that's when I feel like you really hit it. As in, you know, you're like, okay, cool. Like you've built something that's not just say based on who you book every year. Cause that's, I feel like where you really transfer into being like more of a festival than you are just a show. Yeah. And it's also, I think at that point, a big piece of that in my eyes is like fan experience too. hundred percent. You know, Cause it's like, if like the big Euro festivals are really good at this, right. Where like you go and it's like, okay, I'm like in it, you know, or even, even a beyond the gates where Maybe they can't, you know, create Mad Max the way Hellfest does, but at least there's like interesting experiences around Bergen. Yeah, they do some things. You can walk around. Like even just the city itself creates like a kind of like I don't know, like vibe for how the festival is. You know, you're walking around in an old city with a lot of cobblestone streets, and you know it's overcast half the time or more. And it just, you know, like, I don't know, it creates like what you like almost on a, like without an unintentional way of just making it like what, how it feels and things like that, opposed to yeah. setting it up at best or, you know, like Vakken or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this, right? Cause like, obviously like beyond the gates you go and there's like actual murderers walking around and actual church burners. And that's like part of the thing, yeah. but like you're in Houston. How do you do that? Well, okay. So I feel like. On Hell's Heroes, it's more like I because we do it at like the venue I work at, and luckily the venue I work at's kind of set up for like the the way we can do it with this like the multiple stages works out really well. Other than that, I just try to make sure that like say uh, we add extra like we we put vendors and other things in a parking lot. We try to make sure there's enough room for everybody, like not like oversell it. Yeah, we're like we could technically sell outside to. I don't know, X amount of tickets, but I would never sell it to that because that works like on one show that happens for four hours, but you have to crowd all those people in there all day. It's too much. Yeah. Well, those so, band comfort is such a key piece. It's like, uh, and you know, like on some of it, like I already knew the problems, but also like watch every year like this, like, Hey, we need more food vendors. We need this. And then just try to hit, kind of have the environment where everybody just kind of has a good time or it's set up for your, you know, if everybody doesn't have things where they're like, Oh no, I'm thirsty or this is too crowded or whatever, you know, then everybody just kind of hangs out 
and everything works out better for the festival itself. I mean, try to just make everything's laid out well and then treat the bands well. And and like, you know, our staff isn't like overzealous and crazy, you know, like on security and things like that. You know, like they do their job, but they don't. It's not like the Gestapo out there on things. So as long as like every, I feel like the bands are good and you the like, you know, the site's good and everything like that, everybody else will fill in and just have a good time and it kind of spreads. Yeah. And I think that. How do you maintain it so that the staff is like that? Like, I think this is one of the biggest complaints you hear at festivals, especially sort of like underground festivals where, you know, the people who go to Hell's Heroes go to a lot of underground shows. They know how to behave at a show. Yeah. So they're kind of by default a little bit cagey when, at least in my experience at that sort of festival, people are kind of cagey with overzealous security. How do you keep security from kind of getting on people? That's like a real question. Well, luckily for at least for us, since like we, we do shows all year long. Like that's all like our, like we, I mean, we kind of keep that vibe all the time, but also like I can go to, you know, say I'm not like an outside person coming in when we do the the event. So everything's just like when I go up there and I'm like, this is what we're going to do. And like everybody kind of run, everybody that runs the show with me, like, you know, when we say stuff, everybody does it accordingly. And there's not like a, some, you know, like say me just going in and be like, Hey guys, I need you to do this. And they're just like, yeah, whoever this dude is, you know, like whatever you're just doing a show today and things like that. Yeah, gotcha. So it's it's the fact that it's your place and also your thing times 20 on the year makes it a lot easier. Yeah, this stuff like you know like uh it's just weird when people have crazy security guards and it's I mean some of them just hire companies, you know, it's not like yeah. like this is our security company and they're like, you know, in most like places I think that have overzealous security guards are like, "Oh yeah, well, sorry, that's just like the company we use." That's kind of how those guys are, which I don't really feel like is an acceptable excuse, but you know, it's usually nightclub kind of security that are the ones that are the worst. Yes, I would agree. What's your vision for Hell's Heroes long term? You know, obviously, like this year, you and I talked about this that it felt kind of like a level up in a lot of ways. Well, I feel like I can do things now. I didn't know where the ceiling is on this because I mean, sure. obviously, it's not like a. I don't really book a bunch of like major band, like or you know, like I book bigger bands, but say. Uh, like less active bands, like bands that aren't just touring all the time, stuff like that. And also sure. uh, a lot of stuff I book is, you know, underground and things like that. So it's just kind of experimenting to see how far last year I was like, okay, more people want to do this. So I can kind of expand who I go after, or, or you know, like I can, I have people respond well enough where I can bring over more. Like I, I don't feel super risky spending money to bring over somebody from Europe that doesn't come here that often. Yeah. Like triumph of death, which was just an insane very cool. yeah things like that like you know it's like i have to like it costs a certain amount of money to bring over bands of that caliber and you know and it's not cheap to bring people from europe anyways but with uh, the way everybody's responded and everything and uh, like the positive feedback and make I, i'm like okay if i book this stuff like people will want to see this and they like the environment and the festival so it'll work out so it makes me feel more confident to go after things that like i wouldn't have maybe thought that i would ever put an offer in like five years ago so I want to kind of transition this to your band slowly, but I have I have a transition point on it for you. One of the things I feel like you sort of presaged a little bit is with both the festival and your band, you know, is there's this sort of rising wave of black metal in America in a way that we haven't really seen since 2013, 2014. I personally feel like your festival kind of had an influence on that. But why do you think that black metal in the States is like finally starting to have a moment again after, you know, a solid decade of nothing? There's more stuff. I mean, like some of these bands that are now like people are listening to have been out for a minute. 
but like there's some like uh in america i feel like it's more like the it's it's really a lot of like one man raw black metal that's really kind of catching on like lamp or uh black braid isn't really a raw black metal band but it's still a one-man band for all intents and purposes i don't really know why it's kind of coming up honestly like it's got a little bit of different vibe than europeans i mean like it's in the same world except you know i feel like a it's finally not like it's an american style but it's not like cheesy american versions of the euro bands or anything like that you know but i don't know maybe just, i mean people maybe just want to hear it more i can't really like i don't know i'm trying to wreck my brain on this but you got you know like say holder's doing super well and holder's a good band and, and finally and some of these bands actually started playing so that might have changed a little bit so it's not just say like something on the internet yeah like pre-covid like holder didn't play shows um lamp maybe had played a show or played like one i don't think they had yeah so then like i feel like them starting to play and people because I, I feel like it catches on more especially in that world whenever you can relate to it somehow or it's like oh it's a band so it's like more of an entity than it is like say uh if it's just like oh cool this is a really good record from somebody that doesn't play shows sure like the gradual growth of Mismore. yeah yeah no i mean that makes sense it's just like i said it's just been cool to see because i just remember it being you know i do like the fact that people not like uh when i was young i used to think it was like you get you start you like get in a band you write some songs you just start playing do all this stuff and now i completely think that's the dumbest thing ever to do <laughs> like i'm just like i feel like you should write songs then go like you know the other way and we're i like playing live and stuff and necrofire started and like you know we i did a demo and then we got a couple shows with you auto like kind of out of the gate they just kind of what happened other than that. Like I, originally I was just like, let's just write some stuff and then maybe we'll play shows at some point. But that one kind of happened fast enough. I was like, okay, let's do this. But like, you know, if other projects like in my head, you, I would be, if I start something, I'd like to, you know, like work on it, figure out the band, then kind of, and then, you know, like figure out the identity of it with music and art and everything like that, then put something out and then kind of release some stuff and just see where it goes before like just saying straight off to play a show. There's also nothing wrong with the other thing, but I feel like at least you should write place. You should put some music out with the way you can now before you start doing shows and things like that, depending on what you're trying to do. But I agree. Understanding your aesthetic, I think, is really important because I think you see, I think the biggest thing that differentiates like a local band from like a pro band is I feel like the pro bands tend to like understand this is our vibe. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, like, sometimes it falls into place perfectly super fast. And sometimes it takes a minute to develop, like, you know, art or music on things like that. But if I feel if you don't put in the time and like, let it happen, then you just, you know, yeah, like what you said, you end up like local band that has like, some stupid logo with some art they thought was cool, and none of it works together. And they're like, yeah, we're blah. And you're like, okay, sure. I mean, you can tell when like, uh, like, like we basically off of what you just said, like when people are really into it and care or not even care, but just like put in the time and the thought and like everything else that goes into doing all that. And it's like when it's kind of rushed or just, I mean, it could happen in 15 seconds if you actually are that well into whatever and it just all falls right into place. But that's not usually the like exactly how it happens. Well, I think it happens in 15 seconds if you're like, like I feel like you can tell me. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it, it happens fast, if maybe you've been thinking about it and messing with it forever indirectly, and then all of a sudden, like everything like aligns and all happens, but indirectly, you'd probably already been working on that for like five years. So yeah, but yeah, and I, I think also it's like, if you're gonna like, 
the easiest way to do it in my eyes is to like really lean into one particular aesthetic. Yeah. Right. Like I feel like Necrofire Fire, as I experience it, it's just leaning into like this like over the top black metal like guts and glory thing. Like, Necrofire stuff basically it's it's been like kind of in the same vein since we started. The only thing it kind of flashes in now is a little maybe more traditional metal like in the music and in the kind of some of the art and things like that, which is only just you know like uh, I mean I feel like it, I love it. But that's something that took like a minute to kind of come in, but still kind of works with it. Because you should still be able to grow as a band and an artist without, you know, you don't have to be the same band you were when you put out a demo. You know, how everybody else responds to you changing is a whole nother world. But, you know, uh, progressing is like changing is just kind of like a normal thing in life. And you shouldn't have to withhold your band to different standards. I feel like too. Okay, so here's one of the interesting evolutions in black metal in America that I've experienced. And I feel like this specifically speaks to Necrofire. I feel like the previous iteration of black metal in America, in terms of like Agalok, Uada, the Cascadian black metal thing, whatever, uh, Wolves in the Throne Room, that wasn't as willing to kind of lean into the true metal touches. Not at all, yeah. Whereas now you have guys like Hassan, you know, our friend in Baltimore, doing like photo shoots in chain mail because it's fucking chain mail is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like, yeah, there's definitely a lot more openness into like that, the traditional world or like kind of like where it's, uh, it's not the raw world. It's kind of like more like the, like punky venom style stuff where it gets a little more rowdy and it's not just kind of uh, all just kind of like ominous. And well, what you and I were talking about before the, we started recording, right? Like heavy metal is kind of best when it's a little bit goofy. Well, there's some, some like with the black metal scene, I feel like sometimes when it gets like, say, if you just go straight wolves in the throne room and things like that, like I feel like or sometimes in America, at least it gets a little bit too, where everyone's like, this is serious, which being serious is great. Like if that's what you want to do. But I feel like the reason some of that's catching on in America, because America is like a little rowdy. So once you introduce like a little bit of motorhead to it, then everybody's just like on board. That's a very good way to put it. And I think Midnight is like... Yeah, Midnight's a perfect example, like we were talking about earlier. And you were just on tour with them. So let's talk about this. So this is what I was trying to get to, is Necrofire. Talk, let's talk about Necrofire for a second. The tour is really great. Midnight are good dudes. I've known them for a decent while now. But uh, the shows were packed. We went over really well with them for being, say, like a lot more, I would say, black metal than Midnight is. Like, Midnight is, like, has... A lot of black metal influence, like in the Venom range, but you know, there's also you know, but that also means a lot of punk and stuff like that. But uh, all shows great and like great response. New records seem to go over really well with that crowd as well. Can you talk about this new record? What was that experience like? How is it a growth for the band? Talk to me. I think the new record's more like we kind of grew as a band, where like the first record was kind of like we we had some songs and we did some songs and put them together, you know, and then like recorded an album. There's some. I feel like the songs fit together as a record. There's also a lot more like we're talking about traditional heavy metal on this. So I would say we went, the last record was more like, it was, you know, it's like, if I would say at the core, we're probably like dissection influence, but then it kind of went more, the last one on to like a dark throne or Watane kind of vibe and that kind of stuff. And where that, that's still on the new record. There's also like a lot more like say mid-level Bathory, Rotting Christ influence, like a mortal on the new one. Like there's more guitar solos and leads and stuff like that there's like there's a big tap melody on one song that's just straight just kind of like rock driving like all the kind of greek scene uh i just did like a 
a podcast with a guy from Greece and he was talking about how much he loved the record. And I was like, I was like, I was hoping that somebody in Greece would get onto this. And he was like, when I heard this, I had, I could, I was like, there's no way this band's from America. Like these guys sort of have to be European. And I was like, thanks dude. That's like kind of the sickest compliment though. Okay. I think now like, uh, I've had like a lot of friends and people like, I just kind of know in Europe posting about the record, which I didn't really expect them to post about. Cause like, I have some friends in the black metal scene over there, except, you know, it's, it's a different world. Like, it, like what, it is in Europe compared to what it is in America. It's a harder group of people to impress because they have a lot more. Access. Yeah, they, they've they've seen it all, and like that, that scene's like on fire over there. You know, in the states, there's like these. You know, there's okay. Here's these bands in a country of billions of people. You know. Yeah. So it's it. Absolutely. There's less of it. Like there, I mean, there's less bands that people are in, like that are doing well. So there's more of like, okay, cool. Like this band's good. This guy's good. Or this in Europe, there's just a ton of great bands. So, you know, you have to to get their attention. I feel like you you got to step it up. And you also got to be, I don't know, I was, with the European guys, I feel like it's got to be, like, true to, like, black metal as in itself. And it's not, like, some kind of weird, uh, like, take on it. You're like, cool, this is, like, space black metal and stuff like that. I feel like that kind of stuff, like, when it comes from America, it gets, like, goes over weird. Over, you know, they're like, what's this? Why are you doing this? I have noticed that. Because Europe, Europe likes, I mean, like, Europe's down, like, and I think it embraces, like, more kind of, like, a serious or, like, you know, I don't know, I'm just calling it old school, and, like, kind of, like, just the way, like, kind of black metal is created, they, like, they really embrace and love that. And, like, I feel like that's where, like, and especially in, like, the black metal world, it's, like, the last one where it's, like, it's, like, the last genre you still have, to, I feel like if you're going to play and see how everything goes, you still have to withhold to a certain, I don't know, like, spirituality or, like, like the darkness of like is black metal because it's not just in my opinion like people somebody with tremolo guitars and screaming all the time so you have to like uh there's a certain realness i feel like you have to keep if you want to actually do it in my head and i feel like europe really embraces that kind of thought process about it yeah i mean i had a lot of conversations about this with zach from imperial triumphant mm. which is a band that could have never come from europe mm-hmm because they are too weird and they are too yeah imperial triumph is just most bands don't ever sound different or are different imperial triumph is definitely different and incredibly different in a way that i think is confusing and jarring to a lot of people you know and he yeah. he and i were talking about he's like yeah we played like one of the trad black metal festivals and it was like when it's a bunch of four on the floor black metal and then that it's like what the fuck and i think that like you're saying i think in the U.S., you'll see a band who's like, we're going to do space black metal, and that just doesn't, no. <laughs> I mean, you should be able to do whatever you want artistically, but there's some stuff where I'm just like, what are you doing? I think the difference is, is this thing an extension of you, or are you trying to get attention? Oh, yeah, that's that's a really good example. Right, like, I feel like Imperial Triumphant is a band where, like, all those guys are, like, actual jazz musicians. Yeah. It would be a hard world to fake being in like uh, whatever Imperial Triumph is doing. Yeah, but like you know, like like they're all like real ass jazz players who like that is yeah. what they like and what they think about. So it feels real. Whereas I feel like you know, if you show up and you're just like, how do we combine? Like that it was like that early 2010s thing where like let's combine X with metal, and that's where it falls. Also, like, I forgot about this in black metal, especially. Uh, I'm sure Europe's guilty of this too, but you're America. I see a little bit more. There's a lot of bands where like, say the band's a little safe for black metal, I guess where yeah. and like safe. I mean, like I'm not talking about like sketchy, but more like say wild and stuff that kind of embraces like what black metal is. 
And, you know, like if you're a safe person, then stuff like everything's going to come off safe or if you've never, you know, uh, like the kind of danger or the element that goes with it sometimes isn't there. I mean, you can, I like, at least I can absolutely tell, like in the first five seconds, like I see a band, I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, usually if your live show, I think is super reflected on that, you know? Oh, I agree. Because I think it's, it's like ultimately when the genre is built on, okay. So in 1987, we saw these murderers play music together. But there's a certain, yeah, there's a certain channeling in black metal. I feel like it comes from a world where, like, you know, it's not supposed to be like all, yay, this is cool, it's some music. Well, it's like, it's not supposed to, for me, it's like, it's not supposed to be for everyone. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. And that's why it's it's such a, like, I also do love that, like, black metal is like the last genre you can just talk shit about everyone. Yeah. It's like, you can't, like, the death metal scene, the heavy metal scene, none of it's like that. I mean, there's a couple dudes in that scene, like, of course, but, like, for the most part, like, all of black metal, you can just be like, fuck that shit, and everyone's like, yeah. Or it's like, you know, if you, in a certain world, you just end up out ostracized from the rest of it because you decided to do whatever. But no one, I feel like, is afraid to, like, just run their mouths or just be like, hey, what's that? No. Yeah. It's like a breath of fresh air and like um like culture now, like on a lot of stuff, I feel like it it's like everybody should be accepted and you know, things like that and whatever everyone wants to say. But like, you know, everything's not good. So at least in black metal, I feel like everyone's is very okay with being like, yeah, fuck that. Like not into this. I yeah, I like the willingness to call people out for being a tryhard. You know, like I feel like in death metal, like nobody like says that. You can always say that like under your breath. You can't be like, oh, like those guys are actually kind of. Yeah, I mean, like some people will talk about it, but it's never like said out loud in front of people or whatever, you know? Yeah. Whereas like I can be like Deaf Heaven's a bunch of bullshit, try hard black metal for Americans who've never been to Norway. And like every black metal person's like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're like, duh. <laughs> like, like uh, no, the, the, none of them care about burning down churches. Fuck them. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's <laughs> a certain aspect to that. Yeah, where that's exactly it. Like, where it doesn't, I don't know, like in the, in the traditional heavy metal scene, I don't even know what you would say. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even know what, like, I mean, you could, the only thing going on that right now is like, there's like a whole bunch of people jumping on like the okay, like traditional heavy metal people listen to it so now there's like a bunch of bands popping up where i'm like okay here we go where it's like the Amer- you know like whenever something becomes popular and there's like the american wave of like here's all these bands and you're just like oh god here it comes again yeah it happens with every genre but whatever yeah but you and i live inside metal and i feel i i just and yeah i i enjoy the the clarity and the truth and the you can either show how dedicated you are or you're just annoying and then also just the willingness to embrace like high level nerdery gotta love it yeah of course my wife always talks about that she's like you're just being a nerd and i'm like oh i'm, I'm well aware i've been a nerd for a long time and still a nerd so yeah but i love just the like there's like that baseball card collector mentality of just like hey like what have you what have you got and then like what are you into and it's the best it's like like have you heard this you're like check this out or this is the you know yeah like my entire relationship is predicated on I met my girlfriend at a black metal festival and the second day I was just like, we were talking and I casually mentioned being into Divinity Morty productions. And she was like, yo, that's fucking my shit. And like, that was, <laughs> that was how it got going. Well, especially since it's like, I'd say more like uh, with underground music and just obscure stuff like that. Like people, if you meet people that are into the same kind of stuff, there's like a bond that happens faster than like, you're like, Hey, I like pizza, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's stuff you have to like work for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then w- once you have to work for and like you do that, you're more invested. So when that's why what we're talking about, like with black metal, like not letting 
like just shit talking stuff like that or people gatekeeping and stuff like that is because they put so much time into it so they're like oh no like this is how this is what this is yeah well it's just like this is my life i'm not gonna let you be corny yeah you know what i mean as we head towards the end what do we need to be aware of coming up that's like cool or exciting or terrifying you know i know you're announcing this is probably going to go live next week will we have the hell's heroes announced by then yeah hell's heroes is announced on tuesday fuck yeah so should be the nuts day this, the day before this like i went crazier this year than i have in years past what are you most excited for on the lineup you and i have talked about it a little bit i don't know there's so many different things on this like um there's like this year, I feel like it's just as a whole. I'm like, oh, just I kind of did everything. I, I got everything covered. I've always wanted to have like there's some like there's black metal on the fest, like in more sense, like some newer ones I've been wanting to get for a while. Things like that. But uh, That's a good feeling. But yeah, I feel like for once, I feel like uh, whenever I look at the lineup, I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. This is going to be a good year. Usually I, I'm kind of worried to see if people are going to like it. And then I, I showed a lineup to somebody like close to me and they're like, are you kidding? And I'm like, I'm just I, I don't know. Especially after you work on something for that long, you don't really, like you're so close to it that you don't really know like what factor it has on like the initial like reaction to like, hey, this is the best lineup, you know? Yeah, no, it's like that endowment effect thing. Absolutely. You're just like, you have blah and you didn't even think about it because maybe you booked blah easily like a year ago. So you're like, yeah, that's they're on the fest. What is, that, is this a thing? Yeah, they were looking for a US show. So I did it. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm excited as everyone to see the lineup next week and you take care. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to delirious nomads sponsored by blacklight media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow blacklight media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there.